The American Republic was founded upon principles discovered and tested through millennia of Western civilization for the explicit purpose of securing the rights and liberties of each of us. Welcome to Taproot, where your hosts will study, analyze, and evaluate the efficacy of our government in performing its single mission to secure the natural rights of each individual citizen. Then we will develop, refine, and propose specific actions to correct the ship of state. Join us as we reveal the underpinnings of our system of governance and demonstrate strategies, tactics, and techniques to clear away the rubble, build again, and maintain on the ancient foundations of our new republic. Taproot is co-hosted by Todd Williams, a dedicated U.S. citizen with a history of effectively holding accountable his elected employees, and S. Marshall Wilson, retired combat veteran of the U.S. Army and former West Virginia state legislator. Todd, what's the topic for today's discussion? Good evening and welcome to Taproot. This evening I have my normal uh, companion here in Mr. Marshall Wilson. And we have a special guest this evening, Mr. Larry Adams. And I'm going to uh, uh, give a brief introduction for uh, Mr. Larry here and uh, let Marshall say a few words and uh, then we'll go from there. So, Larry Adams was uh, born in Lubbock, Texas, of working-class stock in 1970. Half of the family is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the other half is um, A.I. Anon? Al-Anon. Al-Anon? Al-Anon. Gotcha. Spouses of alcoholics. Oh, okay. Thus, the serenity prayer was surgically implanted by the age of five. Graduated from Texas Tech in 1995 with a BA in history and a minor in philosophy while supporting two children. Worked full-time stocking groceries at night to put himself through university from 88 to 95. Commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps, 17 December 1995, and was jumped into the infantry October of 96. A rifle platoon commander, company executive officer in 2-3-1997 through 2000. Third child born while on deployment, graduated field artillery captain's course in 2003, moved to 29 Palms, California, just in time to join 2-7 as assistant OPSO for OIF-2 deployment in Allen Bar. Company commander of Weapons Company and H&S Company as the fire support coordinator for the 2005-2006 deployment to Fallujah. Left active duty June 2006, became a GS-13 academic coordinator for the USMC training and exercise control group that provides service level training to the Corps, aka Coyotes. 
similar to a live fire combined arms version of the Army's NTC staff. And I'm going to go ahead and stick with what you had here to begin with. Smutted the first marriage in 2009, because we'll, we'll get to see what people actually know what that means. That'll be kind of fun. Joined the reserve detachment as an exercise controller at said control group in 2007. Was a uniformed exercise controller coyote from 2007 to 16. Remarried in 2013. Retired from uniform service in 2016 at the rank of major. Maintains job as the Rafiki to the Coyotes, currently in his capacity as a GS employee, and has facilitated training for 209 Marine Infantry LAR battalions over 122 different exercises over the past 16 and a half years. That's uh, that's quite a uh, resume you have there. I'm impressed. Well, it, it's, it's, it's been a great journey. It, it has. I have learned a ton. Um, I've had to uh as you can tell from from the bio i've had several intersections uh much like everybody has uh and have had within the last seven or eight years have done uh just a ton of reading and a ton of trying to understand uh, how best to perceive the reality that, that, that around me uh and how best to explain that reality uh to other people very good okay marshall well that what what Larry just said, how to explain that to other people is really what what hits on the uh, the sort of uh, cognomen that I've given Larry, and I hope he doesn't mind too much, but I call him a practical philosopher. The reason for that is because much like C.S. Lewis, and, and I, I, I realize you probably kind of... <laughs> kind of flinch at the comparison, but much like the, I'm talking about the concept here of a man who's capable of digging into deep truths and then bringing them out and handing them to normal people in a package and in a form that they completely accept or that they're capable of, of uh, accepting. And I am not by any stretch of the imagination saying that the average person is stupid. As a matter of fact, I believe that the general way of life of normal people, mechanics, plumbers, uh, you know, people who are just trying to get by, take care of their kids and make sure they get a decent education. I think that actually their hold on reality and their understanding of the way things works, whether they ever express it in the highfalutin terms of a, you know, a, a, of a German philosopher, I think that their, their grasp on reality is actually stronger. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Larry is the fact that he is able to effectively bridge the gap. And frankly, I'm a little bit jealous. I don't often find myself jealous of people unless they're a foot taller than I am, like many people are. But uh, I, I actually find myself a little jealous of Larry's capability to express things in a way, uh, deep, powerful concepts in a way that uh, what we called in the army, Joe's just, just your guy, you know, the guy out there, Joe. Uh, Joe can just grasp it and run with it. And uh, that's why I've asked him to come here. Uh, he does have an educational background in philosophy, but really I believe that his ex life experience, his, uh, his work with the Marine Corps, his work with training individuals who live on the, the knife edge of life or death on a daily basis uh, has taught him a lot that he has to expound to the rest of us. And uh, he's better at it than I am. So that's why he's here. Now, if I may, Larry, I'd like to kind of kick off um, I'd like to kind of contextualize what we're doing here and then just okay. hand it over. All right. So 
Uh, a lot of you have probably read the poem Horatius at the Bridge by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Uh, it refers to uh, Horatius Cockles in the battle against the Roman army of the Etruscans. The Romans are fighting the Etruscans. And he is standing out there in front of the troops he commands. It's a small unit trying to hold a bridge that gives the Romans access to his city, his Etruscan city. And he's trying to encourage his men to stand fast and give their all. And he says, well, the, the way the poem goes anyway, is then outspoke, outspoke brave Horatius the, to the captain of the gate. Outspoke brave Horatius, the captain of the gate. To every man upon this earth, death comes soon or late. We're all going to die. And how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods? You know, we're all going to die. All of us. Right. And thing is that you know who was it uh, was it was it uh uh in the movie gladiator he said all men all men die not all men truly live yes okay that's yes. the basic concept here and he's saying if you really want to live you have to be prepared to die in this way giving everything you have standing between uh fearful odds or as uh, as uh the the patriotic american song says between our loved homes and the war's desolation, right? That's the way a man should go out. And why? Why is that, Larry? And and uh, you you have expounded in in a conversation I was involved in. This is what got me interested in the things you have to say. You expounded the concept of how we need to leave something behind. Can you go off on that, please? Well, I mean, one of the things that I've become familiar with over the last Oh, like I said, seven, eight years is uh, leaving the bread trail left by Dr. Jordan Peterson uh, reading uh, on Jung. And, and one of the archetypes, uh, you know, Jung said that the, the archetypes that we see uh, in, the, in, the, in the common everyday stories, um, that the, the foremost among those archetypes is somebody who leaves, you know, a small, well-ordered place and goes out uh, to the place where he least wants to be yep. to find the thing that he most needs in his life. And, and I can't think of anything that ever rang true for me uh, more. Uh, you, you look at any story, the, the very first story, uh, the, the Enuma Elish uh, from the Mesopotamians. Uh, that's, right. that's, that's the story of, of how that, that they, they perceive creation. Um, every story, every, uh, compelling story you've ever ever read or watched on a movie is that story and so my favorite version of this is is the the king arthur uh, and the knights of the round table as they go and search for the holy grail each one of them as they go down the road in the forest goes into the part of the forest that each of them perceives to be the most ominous and that gets into what you just said uh, about Horatio, and, and that is your legacy that you leave. Um, and so they go into that darkest, deepest place for each, not all of them went. Each one of them individually went to that place they seemed most frightened by, and they found the thing that they most needed. You know, I, I get guys that come out here in a hurry, they get orders out to the Mojave Viper uh, or to the Mojave Desert, uh, and, and it's 120 degrees. 117 like it was today and that you know that's obviously uh, pr pretty uh pretty daunting 
for for a young man who just did you know uh three years in in hawaii or or a few years in at, at camp pendleton where it's nice and it's sunny and 70 every day and they've got to come out where it's 117 and 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 try and find something compelling in their lives right and so but what they do what each one of them does echoes an eternity they have to go to that place that they least want to go to find that thing that is going to serve their character and they're going to build from that right so it's it's a biological imperative right so as we learn things uh, the imperative that that, that that Kant talked about is is to pass it on to the next generation because as is a biological it, you know biology is basically um, can be summed up as the passing on of information and what is information information is what matters right so we have to find meaning with our own lives we have to carefully sort the wheat from the chaff to find those things that will serve our character, that will serve um, our soul uh, so that we can pass that on to our children. And so our children can likewise do over and over and over again. Uh, you know, it, the reason why this job is so fulfilling partially is because I get to, you know, uh, help control with live fire uh, combined arms training. But the most compelling thing that I do is is to teach young men and young ladies um, how to take advantage of the opportunities that they have to excel and to be good at what they do and, and, and pick up that information because mortality is painful. That is the constant across all life. And right. as it is painful, you can either do two things, suffer and derive no meaning from it and die lonely and nihilistic in a ditch. Or you can take on the meaning. You can search out and build your character. And all of that suffering in the end will be worth it. And you will have it to pass on to the future generations of your own children. Okay, so if I may, you talk about it being a biologic imperative that we pass on information, that we leave a legacy of the information that we have garnered through our life experience and, and all the things we've done, right? Right. You specifically said it was biologic. And yet then you continue to talk about how what we do in life echoes in eternity, how uh, there's a spiritual component, how it's uh, it's beyond oh, all. Well, you know, that's uh, that's what I was sitting here hearing. I was, I was hearing it and I was thinking, how does the biological and the spiritual combine here to make uh, a comprehensive philosophy of what you're saying. And, and one of the things that brought me to that conclusion, because uh, as you might expect, you know, coming from university with a philosophy degree, uh, you know, I was tempted. I also took Latin. That was a huge mistake because when I took Latin, um, I came to understand just, you know, how flawed the Bible could be because it was all translated from all of these uh, initial languages that it was written in through Latin into English. And the difference between I'm having a great day and it's raining shitty and I hate this place is one of very, very nuanced uh, attention to that language. So if you're a Marine, it's both. Yeah, well, of course. And I'm having a great day. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so the idea is there is a holistic requirement within each human 
for that meaning, right? And, the, and, it, and this is down in deep, deep, deep in our uh, DNA. Uh, Mersea Eliada was a, uh, I'm not sure what type of scientist he was, but uh, he wrote a book called The Sacred and the Profane. And what he did was Eliada went through and showed the parallels through all of these cultures, ancient cultures from, uh, from all, you know, every possible geographic location. And he showed how they all parallel one another in terms of their creation stories, in terms of what they think is sacred and, and, and what they feel is profane. And because that's such a absolutely uh, ubiquitous proposition, how could it possibly not be part of reality? Each one of us feels it. Uh, Peterson does a great job in, in, in some of his uh, talks that he gives uh, talking about how, you know, even these people who claim to be atheists, you can tell that they worship something. So how can they possibly deny the reality, in my opinion? Well, not just my opinion, I know it. That there is a God, and that that we are we are sent here to realize our potential, walk before Him, as they say in the as it says in the Bible, and achieve that that strength of character, so that we can pass it on to future generations. Right. So, is passing thing passing this knowledge, passing your name, passing your accomplishments and your experience down to future generations? Is that what uh, the ancients referred to as, uh, you know, having a name, making a name for yourself, uh, pursuing, not fame, of course, the word fame was also used, but, um, you know, establishing your name as as a memory, establishing your life as a memory. But the question is, the question is, what about those of us who won't necessarily be remembered, about whom there won't be books written and songs sung? You know, where where is our legacy stored if it's not in the books and in the songs and in the movies that are made about our lives? Because most of us probably aren't going to have movies made about our lives. Well, right. It's it, it stored in the in the character of, of the people who, whom whom you've affected as you've as you've walked your path, whether you have children or not. You know, your behavior. Uh, I know a great way to put this. And this occurred to me about six months ago. And I think you're going to love this. Okay, nihilists claim that nothing matters, that we're just on this little blue ball in the middle of space and blah, 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 blah. It's all worthless. Okay, as an alternative to that, I maintain that if we're going, you can't have it halfway. You can't say, well, some things matter, some things don't. No, everything you do, every word you say, every interaction you have, leaves an effect effect on some other human being and anybody who's been married knows this is true and so the words you say the words that are coming out of your mouth how you how you uh you know your bearing and how your how you project yourself into the world has an effect and if you if you the only alternative to the nihilism is that everything matters you know, actually, it's kind of funny you bring this up because Calvin and Hobbes, there's actually a comic strip where Calvin and Hobbes are in the, the wagon and they're zipping down the hill, Suicide Hill, right? 
and Calvin's talking about how is you know what if nothing really matters. Hobbs is kind of putting up with it, tolerating it, and at the very bottom of the hill as they're about to fly off the cliff, he says, "But then again, what if everything matters?" <laughs> right. Exactly. So, and, and and what what most people don't realize is is this is is part of our DNA. It's so far instantiated down into our nervous system that it's it i mean it, it, think about think about the re, the they've done neurological studies about the reaction of people to snakes and and how you know people will react so quickly to this that you can they they basically made the argument that all of that neuro neurological material is down into your down into your capillaries down around your fingertips it runs all over the place and guess well, snakes are just creepy man well right they're creepy and in in our, our biological advantage because the other thing that i've always been confused at how does a species of featherless biped make it 50 million years to evolve into what we have become from this weak hairless thing with very no claws no fangs how did we make it through that evolutionary process to be the largest apex predator that dominates the planet. How does that work? Well, here's how it works. If you've, have you, have you ever looked at uh, YouTube videos and run into somebody that'll like throw a cucumber up behind a fuck, uh, behind a cat, yeah. right? That cat automatically thinks that cucumber snake, boom, and it's up, right? We yeah. have that same thing. We have that same thing within us. It's called a bullshit detector. <laughs> and we know when we're being bullshitted and we sense it and you know it. And I tell my instructors this all the time. You've got 90 seconds in front of these guys to convince them that they should listen to you and trust you or they will disregard you because that's how we take in information. That's how we perceive the world. Three ways. I've got stuff that can help me, stuff that is neutral, stuff that can harm me. And if they perceive you as either the latter two, they are not going to pay any attention to you. So we have that effect on people, on each other. And so, like I said, none of this is in, we're not fleas staring into a furnace, right? We are very, very effective as a species at listening to one another and then deciding to act and then acting. Okay, so... Go ahead, Todd. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, that you're fine. I was just going to mention that uh, I find it interesting you were talking about words having an effect. And so if you're familiar, I'm sure you are with the butterfly effect and how mm -hmm. the uh, wings of a butterfly beating anywhere can affect some other part of the world. So right. I think, you know, uh, I was reading a story about uh, if you happen to be having a conversation with someone in the grocery store and someone walks by you and they don't even know you at all but they may overhear something you say and it affects their life. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're, if you're, for an example, a positive person and you have good things to say and you say those things, uh, you know, or you have conversations about those, you really have a, a, a lasting impact on people who come into contact with you. Right. And, and as you get older and, and both you gentlemen can probably attest to this, seeing as how you both, of you appear, both of you appear to be older than I, I'm just saying, but as we've gotten older, each of us has understood that you have to be very careful about criticism and about being overly, uh, you know, too harsh, um, yep. lest you, lest, 
you know, you become one of those two latter categories where you are perceived as either neutral. It's just the old, the old angry guy, uh, or, or somebody that's going to harm me. And I don't want and, and I'm, and I'm, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to listen to him yep. because, uh, what he says hurts my feelings. Right. So you have to be able to reach out to people and get and, and, and speak to them where they happen to be. And then in order to do that, you have to sort of be able to size people up and understand where their perspective is in order to better communicate with them uh, at an effective level. And, and, and all of this stuff is, is predicated on the fact that you know you've done enough thinking and you've done enough reading. Um, one, of the, one of the greater channels I've found recently uh, is a channel called flapper.net and he uh, individual does uh, uh, some some historical analysis of the French Revolution, the Soviet Revolution and the Chinese Revolution. And as he does this, uh, he continually says over and over again, do the reading because at our age, if you've done enough reading, you've actually challenged yourself enough, challenged your pre preconceived, notions and come up with things that are uh as truthful uh in the reality as you perceive it as you can possibly make it and that's important that's an important thing to do is get out there and read um sultanitsyn i've got uh uh seneca here how to die and a lot and and i thought you know your your uh earlier poetic quote uh marshall was was very, very close to what I've been reading with, with Seneca and How to Die. You have to be ready. And you so you find these things and you hand them down. And as you hand this knowledge down, as you talk about these things, you bring it into conversations around the, around the water cooler, uh, in the lunchroom, um, you know, at the bar. And people latch on to that truth. And, and, and here's the great thing. In 1775-76, they had bars that they would meet in, right? Right now, we have an entire internet and in so many ways to communicate between Facebook and Twitter, Truth, uh, Gab, you know, Gitter, what have you, uh, in order to have these conversations just like they did then, right? And, and Marshall and I met on Twitter uh, and, 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 the, and the group that, that kind of runs over there is a great group and it continues to pull people in because the truth, like I said, it, it's, it's, um, it's virulent. It, it, it will, it will infect other people. And, and, and we have that, that sense that's down deep into our DNA that is a bullshit detector. But then again, our, our hearts gravitate to truth. Our hearts. Right, gravitate let me jump in. Let me go, jump Critical point. All right. So my master's is a national security with a focus on how free societies devolve into totalitarianism. That's what oh. I, with the intent of figuring out how to start where we are now and turn the process around. I've got nine kids. My entire purpose in existence is ensuring that my kids can raise their kids in a free country. That is the legacy I want to leave my kids. That's the legacy I want to leave the world, is that my kids were able to live in a free country. So I've studied this process and I focused on the construction of the, the Soviet Union, you know, how it came about. Spent a lot of time on the Russian Revolution, the uh, uh, 
you know, the Bolshevik revolution. I know uh, I've spent a lot of time with the Mensheviks, basically how all this came together. And uh, frankly, you know, I could plot for you on a timeline of the, the Soviet revolution, where exactly the United States is right now. And uh, to be quite honest with you, it's, you know, as I often say to my friends here in West Virginia, these things aren't happening to you. They're being done to you. But of course, anytime you talk about the Soviet Union and liberty, Solzhenitsyn comes up. And you, you mentioned Solzhenitsyn a while ago. Uh, the Gulag Archipelago, of course, is his most famous work. Um, but he also wrote a treatise, which I find fascinating, called Live Not by Lies. Live Not by Lies. So you're talking about bullshit detector, and Solzhenitsyn is saying live not by lies, and he spends massive amounts of his time and mental energy talking about how the Russian people were subjected to a kingdom of lies. And, and basically the way this process worked was that they were compelled and by the way, C.S. Lewis does a really good job with demonstrating how this works in his uh, in his book, uh, uh, That Hideous Strength, which is the third of the uh, the space trilogy written by C.S. Lewis. But anyway, uh, Solzhenitsyn talks about how people were actually not, you know, people talk about going to the gulag and how that was imprisonment. He says, no, no, no. The imprisonment was in your own mind. Yes. The imprisonment was in your own mind because they convinced you they compelled you. They got you to the point where you would, you would uh, um, voluntarily deny absolute facts, the things that were right in front of your face. And of course, Orwell talks about this: how the party would get you to uh, to deny the evidence that was before you, so you could take the party line. Same thing that Solzhenitsyn's talking about. Of course, he lived through it and actually went to the gulag. But the point is that we have to resist lies at all levels. I mean, the little ones, if you don't resist the little ones, you, you don't have any ground to stand on to resist the big ones. You and I are, are both, you know, we're fighters, right? You're a jarhead. I'm a grunt. Um, by the way, I was born at Paris Island. I don't know if I told you that. My old man was no, a jarhead. Yeah, but I love him anyway. So uh, <laughs> so the thing is that if you if you lose strategic ground, even if it's not much to look at, even if it's, you know, it doesn't appear to be that important, it looks like, you know, well, we can give up this, this little uh, spit of ground here. What we don't understand is that's actually along the natural lines of drift of the enemy. That's how that, you know, and we can't afford to lose this particular spot. Well, we don't recognize it when we give it up. And then you have nowhere to stand to defend yourself against the next lie that comes along. And then the next lie. When I was in the legislature in West Virginia, my friends, my colleagues would get mad at me and they'd say things like, why do you have to argue about everything? And my response was always, I don't have to argue about everything. I simply cannot allow a lie to stand. No matter right. what the lie cannot do it. I mean, I might not win the argument as in get the votes that I need to make policy changes, but you will never, ever, ever be able to find me lying or supporting a lie or voting in favor of a lie. I can't, I cannot do that because I know what it costs and I love my kids too much. So anyway, I'm, uh, you know, I've gone off on my rant, but it kind of, I think really dovetails nicely with what you were saying a while ago about how your, your legacy that you leave behind is in the hearts of people, but you can't get your information into their hearts if their detectors are going off and they're saying you're not worth listening to. Is that right? That, that's correct. That's correct. And, and we have to, we have to remember our Milton now. So we're going to talk a little bit about John Milton and, yep. and, what, and, what, and what did Milton say that Satan's downfall was caused by? 
Satan's downfall was caused by the fact that he thought he knew everything that was worth knowing. And right. he was willing to spend an eternity in hell in, rather than admit otherwise. Right. And, he would rather, and he would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven and then actually admit and have some humility. So it's, a, it's incumbent upon us as, as men, as leaders. The devil, that proud spirit, he cannot bear to be mocked. Yeah. My man. And so, you know, as men, we have to maintain that humility. And this is, you know, as I teach my instructors and as I've taught my children, if, you know, you don't grow until you shed those worthless presuppositions that you've right. arrived at that serve no purpose, but are actually harmful. And that's, that's part of what we do is we try to shed in order to avoid, you know, Milton's fallacy of, or Satan's fallacy that, that is, is portrayed by Milton. And that's that's critically important, I think, specifically uh, with regards to, you know, how you listen to somebody. If somebody admits being fallible, if somebody's open to criticism, that's somebody that, that, that might have something to offer. If you've got somebody who insists that everything they say is right, that all of their uh, presupposed or uh, their, their pre-arrived at suppositions are correct, that's when your bullshit detector goes off. Right. And, and, you know, and, and another thing that, that Peterson says and what gives me faith and hope uh, in mankind is if you look at where we've come from in terms of what we pay attention to on the television uh, and, and, and on the computer over the last 50 years. I mean, you remember, you guys remember, it was, you know, uh, any any drama was an hour long with commercials, any uh any sitcom was 30 minutes with a laugh track because they thought so much of you that they had to tell you when to laugh. Right. <laughs> and now we've got people who are willing to look at game of Thrones, which is incredibly complex Shakespearean sort of story that runs for C's tip was it 10 seasons. Oh my God. You know, thousands of hours of television, they'll binge it over a weekend. We're not nearly as stupid as they thought, as they made us believe we were. And that's the important thing. They want us to feel isolated. They want us to feel uh, as if we're, we don't know something. But as you gentlemen can testify to, specifically you, Marshall, having dealt with, you know, this, this managerial class up in Congress, you know, they're convinced and they're trying to convince everybody else they're the experts, and we all know it's bullshit. Yeah, let me let me clarify. State rep, not Congress. Just sorry. Just, that's it's okay. I just don't want to claim anything that's not mine. That's all. I got yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, you know, you've probably read uh, Woodrow Wilson. No relation, thank God. Woodrow Wilson's treatise that he published in 1887 when he was a professor, uh, and, and it's called the Study of Administration. He literally says, literally says that we've outgrown constitutional republicanism. There's no longer any need for anything that, that even looks like a democratic uh, society or government, because we now have people who are so intelligent, who are so well-placed, who know so much about, about their area of expertise that what we really need is a technocracy. The man wrote this. It was published in 1887, and then he later became president of the United States. And oh, ushered wait, wait, in the, wait, 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 yeah, wait a minute. Is that the same guy who initiated the Federal Reserve, the income tax, 
got us into World War One without any reason whatsoever. League uh, of Nations. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the of worst present in the history of, 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 the, of America. Yeah, yeah and I'd sure. like to reiterate, no relation, thank God. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to trace your family roots on that one. Yeah, I need, I need some proof here. Yeah. Well, actually, fortunately, I've done that, and uh, I, I can show it to you. I've got it on Ancestry. But uh, I, I think yeah, we're good, getting good thing Go about being a good thing about having the last name Adams is is I I I don't have much to apologize for. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's always a first. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're we're getting down to the end of our time, which is a shame because I could talk to Larry, talk with Larry for hours, for days. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, when I get around uh, around men like Larry, I, uh, I I really enjoy that. So I, I'd like to tie all this together real quick, if I may. Um, I tell my kids that a man is not a man unless he is in some measure warrior poet prophet priest and king and i tell all my friends that when i use the word man it refers to the creature man not to the male of that that creature so a man is not a man unless he is in some measure warrior poet prophet priest and king uh i think you've kind of hit on that larry um obviously you are a philosopher which makes you both a, a poet and a sort of a prophet of of sorts um <laughs> you, you're in, no i'm serious i no, i've really actually got a, profit is on my signature block at work oh, that's awesome that's awesome so uh and then king of course you have the areas where you're responsible you're the guy you know if you're green tab or if you're three you're you know and then uh, of course you're a warrior I don't know much about your poetry, but I tell you what, you, you've got a, a storyteller's uh, gift. So I'd say you got the poet thing going on. So what we're talking about here is how we pass that, leave that as a legacy for those behind us. And I think you kind of hit on the fact and, and really made it clear that we don't just leave it. We don't just leave it lying around. We have to actually hand it off and trust it to certain people, to trusted uh, people who follow behind us. Uh, I think that's a pretty accurate way of saying it. And I think we've hit on the fact that it's actually an eternal, it has eternal significance. It's not just about, um, you know, making sure that there are people who come behind us who fulfill our will in the next generation so that we have, we have some sort of influence over those who are after us, even when we're not around, you know, those are all, uh, aspects of what we're really talking about is doing something eternal, I think. And of course, there's only one point at which a human being can affect eternity other than himself, and that's another human being. So if you affect other people, if you, if you give them cause or purpose or inspiration to become different, whether it's good, bad, however it is, however you affect them, that effect has eternal consequences, I believe. And, uh, I cannot tell you what an honor it's been to have you here. And, and Todd, uh, we got to get him back sometime, don't you think? I would love yeah, to man, have him back. Cool. Yeah. Well, the, the, the idea here is that you have studied the philosophers, but then you've taken that, that knowledge that you've gained from your study and you've put it into practice over right. multitudinous decades. Maybe not as many decades, you know, <laughs> maybe half a decade less than I have, but, uh, you put it into practice, you've tested it, 
you found the gold and you've put the gold to work and now you're prepared to, or not just prepared to, but you're actually handing it to other people. What do you intend for them to do with that? Do you just intend for them to replicate the process and hand that gold off to the next generation or do they need well, to build on well, of course, and and, and, and and you think about it, uh, and I started getting into this earlier, and I, I kind of got drifted on it, is, you know, you find uh, and resurrect the spirit of the Father by going in uh, to the deep places, the belly of the whale, uh, as Pinocchio did, and, 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 and resurrecting that, and that's, that's true. You look back in Egyptian society, it talks about it. Uh, you look in biblical uh, accounts it talks about that that that's where you're you're looking to to reestablish um that the, the the masculinity that all of the things that make us uh effective men effective protectors effective providers um and effective mentors and 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 so what more of a of, of a satisfying life could you have than to try and put these things into practice, um, you know, and, and, and recognize that it's, it's not just some intellectual exercise that you're doing. No, it's life. Get out there and execute this because you don't get a second chance. Right. And so, you know, that, that's, that's the, the gift of mortality that was given to us by the creator and thank God um, because that's, what's been left to us right if i could jump in here i actually have something that uh or if you have marshall if you had something else to say i could close out with this but i think it's pertinent to what we've talked about this evening you're the man go okay. for it so you guys have probably i'm sure you probably heard this before but it uh it's always good to hear it again and maybe some of our listeners have not heard it uh this is a poem by tecumseh says, so live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion, respect others in their view, and demand that they respect yours. Love your life, perfect your life, beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger, when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. Abuse no one and no thing, for abuse turns the wise ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision. When it comes to your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. Absolutely. And he wrote that, he wrote that to be, to be uh, learned and understood by normal people, not yeah. by not by people with great pedigrees, not by people with lots of money or lots of, you know, education, by guys, by right. Joe, by you and me. Right. And we are to live that way because we are made in the image of the living God. All right. So last question, last <clears throat> question. So if I have a certain amount of time that I'm allowed to breathe, right? 
And then I'm given an opportunity within that time that I can reasonably expect to be allowed to continue breathing. And I choose to risk the opportunity to breathe or continue breathing so that I can then create an eternal legacy that might show others how to find meaning in their life. Um, which, where does the value lie? Where's, which, which is the more valuable, the opportunity to continue breathing or the opportunity to present an eternal legacy to those who follow behind me? Um, so when give it, it, let me restate the question. So I, I think I understand it. Uh, the question is, if, if I can choose a longer life in order to have more of a, a of an effect. Well, that's, that that, that's the idea. If you could choose a longer life or you could choose risking the opportunity for that longer life so that you can have a more profound and eternal. Oh, risk away, risk away, throw it in there. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we, that's why we, we, we have limitations that God doesn't have. That's why God had to come uh, back in, 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 in the form of Jesus Christ. So he could understand, you know, you know, a, 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 a being, even if he's omnipotent and omniscient that would need to be in this skin. Right. And that's what he did. And what did he do? He volunteered to be betrayed by his friends, yep. um, denied by his friends, betrayed by his church, and tortured to death by his government in right. order to save all of life, all of humankind from eternal damnation. Now, that's the greatest story ever told. He True. had that same choice. Satan gave him that same choice on the hilltop up in the wilderness uh, 40 days and said, you can have it all yep. and you can have it forever or you can go along the path and die in pain. And he knew what was coming and he did it anyway. And we all try to live down that sacrifice in our own lives. And that is critical. Yes, sir. Todd, you're going to you're going to love this. I know you never hear me say this. I have nothing to add to that. Can we be done now? We can be done now. I cannot imagine anything I could add to that. I can't either. That, that was a great, uh, great way to close it out there, Larry. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to thank Larry for being here. This means a lot to me. Go ahead. I would, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to speak. Um, I, I don't get to do this except to a very small group of, of men uh, on a daily basis, but I don't get, to, I don't have the opportunity to get the word out like this. And so I appreciate the opportunity to uh, try and articulate the truth uh, as I've come to perceive it. And uh, anytime uh, you, you ever need a filler on a, on, you know, and, and, and you're looking to slum, give me a shout and, and I'll come back. Uh, well, we'll definitely have you back because there's a lot more hard stuff we need to talk about. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for accepting the invitation, Todd. Thank you for keeping us on track and uh, and uh, for providing a little bit of balance and sanity here. I know normally you're just trying to balance one lunatic, but tonight you did two. So congratulations, <laughs> you did well. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, Jazzy from uh, Premier Podcast Productions. Uh, you are the greatest. I think you know that uh, that I think that, and I, I wish everybody in the world. Could have a uh, have somebody 
drag them along and uh, teach them how to do their job as well as you have with me. And uh, I really appreciate you. So thank you very much. Hey guys out there, if you're, if you're interested in doing a podcast, you need to get a hold of Jazzy at Premier Podcast Productions. She will make it happen for you. What else we got, Todd? Well, we definitely would like to say thanks to all of our listeners and folks who tune in uh, every, every episode. Uh, you are the ones that we do this for. Thanks for listening to Taproot, where we plumb the depths and encompass the breadth of liberty. If you love liberty and would see it established once again for all men, we want to hear from you. Please rate and review the podcast and check out our YouTube at Marshall4WV. That's Marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, the number four, W-V. Join us next time for more discussions on how we might restore the Republic to secure the certain unalienable rights with which all men were endowed by their creator. Oceans to